Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, 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 one and all, and a very warm welcome to Series 9 of Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. Ah, it feels great to be back, and I've missed you. I have. How are you? I mean, you look great. Is that a new haircut? Yeah, I thought so. Really suits you. Yes, it's me, Joe Haddow, and whether you're a brand new listener to the podcast or one of our old friends, it's great to have you with us, and what a series we have lined up for you coming up over the next few weeks we'll be joined and hearing from best-selling american novelist david baldacci international best-selling superstar marianne keys former pop star vicar broadcaster and writer reverend richard coles international best-selling author and columnist linwood barclay booker prize winning author damon gamut and actress singer presenter and a childhood hero of mine baroness floella benjamin as well just to name a few. But enough of the future. Let's focus on the here and now. And I'm thrilled to be joined for episode one of series nine by two fabulous authors, both of whom are warming up in the wings, ready to go head to head in a battle of the books a little later on. My first guest is a best-selling writer whose work has been translated into 26 languages and who has been nominated for the George Orwell Prize and the Commonwealth Writers Prize, to name just two. She is a fellow of the Royal Society of Literature and the author of five books, including the Booker Prize shortlisted novel Brick Lane, which was turned into a feature film you may remember way back in 2007. Can it be that long ago? Here to tell us about her latest novel, Love Marriage, it's Monica Alley. Welcome to Book Off Monica. Hi. Thank you so much for joining. It's lovely to see you. And my second guest is a writer and dispute resolution lawyer who won the inaugural Murky Books New Writers Prize back in 2019. She studied law at Cambridge and holds a master's degree from the University of Oxford. In short, she's far too intelligent to be on this podcast, but she's here and here to tell us about her debut novel, We Are All Birds of Uganda. It's Hafsa Zayan. Welcome to you, Hafsa. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's such a privilege and an honour to be with Monica. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's a privilege and honour to be with me. I was thinking, and no. You. What, and I, you. <laughs> you got that wrong. I, I did wonder how you were going to follow your introduction of Monica with mine, but hey-ho, you did a good job. Now, um, I've, I've got some really strong coffee on the go. Monica, I know, is on decaf. and you Are you just going without, are you? I'm just on water. <laughs> You're so healthy and so good and putting us all to shame. Uh, and I should uh, introduce you both, Hafsa, Monica, Monica Hafsa, because, of course, we are we are virtual. Um, and I doubt you've met before, have you? No, we haven't. No, I'm delighted to meet you, Hafsa. Thank you so much. No, I, I obviously know who you are quite well. You probably don't know who I am, but I've had sort of... Do you now? Brick Lane, Brick Lane was on my mother's shelf, because I, I read a lot of my mother's books when I was, when I was younger, but um, Brick Lane was on my mother's shelf for years. I mean, it's one of the standout books that I remember in her sort of little library at home. So it was one of like the first, really one of like the first books I even remember reading. I feel wow. so ancient now. <laughs> but can you imagine how honoured I feel? <laughs> We got ancient and we got honoured. And you're, you're both being so lovely and polite. I'm just wondering how that's going to change later in the in the book off when, you, when you're going. Got to keep them sweet. Got to keep them sweet. 
Um, so over the next 30 minutes or so, uh, we're going to discuss both of your new novels, as I mentioned. Uh, we'd love to hear about your writing and, and what, your, uh, what you've been reading and enjoying recently. And the book off will come at the end. This is where you'll each pitch us a book that you absolutely love and you think that we should all read. But first, Monica, if I could uh, talk about Love Marriage, which is the, the title of your new novel, and a wonderful novel it is. Um, and this is... Uh, the the title is The Planned Wedding Between Yasmin and Joe. Um, perhaps you could tell us a little bit about them, set up their families for us and, and the story. I'll give it a go. So um, Yasmin Garami is 26 years old. She's a junior doctor at a big London hospital, engaged to be married to Joe, who is a fellow doctor. He's charming, he's handsome, he's rich. He's kind, everything that you could possibly want. And then he goes and does the unthinkable. He cheats on her. And Yasmin goes off and has revenge sex, much against her better judgment, because she's always been such a good girl. Um, And so she's tortured by the fact that she's, you know, gone against her principles and her morals. And unlike Jo, she doesn't confess to her infidelity. So she's tortured by it. But little does she know that Jo is in therapy for his sex addiction. So, um, and, so we start. We start off with Yasmin sort of having quite a carefully planned a controlled life plan she knows what she wants she knows where she's going and then everything starts to implode and explode yeah because at the at the beginning of the novel you know we we get a real sense of these two families and and we certainly get a sense of her family life i think um Yas- yasmin's family life because of you know live still living with her parents and, and joe lives with his mum, and it's sort of you know, you, you you lull us in, and then it just it sort of upturns, and we're as readers, we're sort of left go, oh no, oh hang on, no this because we know the life plan, and we sort of feel like they're both, you know, that we don't see any issues in those early pages. I think, um, how important was it to establish both of those families to you, and where did those characters come from? Yeah, so so um, they're from very different backgrounds. So uh, I wouldn't say there are no concerns at the beginning. The concerns are Yasmin's anxieties around the two families meeting for the first time. So the opening sentence is, uh, in the Garami household, sex was never mentioned. <laughs> and then we learn very quickly that... Um, Joe's mother is a, a famous uh, feminist writer, famed for a memoir about all her lovers, male and female. That uh, there's an infamous photograph of her that was taken as a feminist statement, very explicit photograph. Her little brother's winding her up about it, and they're going off for this dinner. Uh, at, at um, Joe's mother's house in Primrose Hill, which is very posh. And Yasmin's from a solid sort of middle class, but ordinary background. Her father's a GP. So there's all the cultural um, differences and anxieties. There's the social and class anxieties. And then there's just, the, you know, the bride thing, you know, the bridezilla yeah. thing. Of it. Like, is it all going to be OK? Um, and it, it does go wrong, but not in the ways that she imagines. There's no clash of cultures. I mean, you know, I think um, uh, people have been describing it, or some people at least, as a, a book about a clash of cultures. And to, to mm. my mind, it is not that at all. Um, there's anxieties around the culture. But in fact, Harriet, who's Joe's mother, embraces the Garamis. I mean, far too much for Yasmin's liking. yeah she does and also I just loved that quite near the beginning and and it's on the way to that uh, family dinner where um, they end up setting off so early you know and there's this (laughs) there's this sort of oh my god we're gonna turn up an hour early and it's just little things like that I loved about the sort of family dynamics and things that we could all relate to 
Uh, and Anissa Yasmin's mother ta- taking the dinner with her. All the, all the food. Yeah. All she's got all these Tupperware <laughs> boxes and tins. And to her mind, she's being a, you know, a brilliant guest. And to Yasmin's mind, she is just being hugely embarrassing. But Harriet actually abandons the lasagna and she, you know, she eats the curries with relish and she and she loves it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Anissa is a, just such a scene-stealing character um did it, where where did she come from is she based on anyone or is or, you know is she a complete fabrication from your imagination <laughs> um you, you know i i could never divulge these things <laughs> I, I will go to my grave without revealing my sources you, you know there's i'm always stealing bits of people yeah. but but never an entire person so yeah, yeah. Okay. I just just the body parts, not the entire body. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, fine. That's that's a good. That's a great answer. <laughs> um, and have said, we are all birds of Uganda is a book that um, we've we've talked about a lot before, and we have uh, met, and it was on the Radio Two Book Club. Um, it, it's done incredibly well. You must be so proud. And th- there will be people listening who've who've read this book and are awaiting your next novel. But for those who haven't, perhaps you could just set up the story of Samir and Hassan for us and, and, and just uh, give us a little taste of, of this book. Of course. So you've already mentioned the sort of two protagonists, Samir. Uh, it's a dual narrative. So Samir's story is set in modern day Britain. He's the son of Ugandan Asian immigrants. Uh, they came over to this country in 72 after Idi Amin expelled um, Uganda, uh, South Asians from Uganda. Um, and so he's grown up in this country. He's a, he's, a, he's a high-flying sort of city lawyer, lives smack bang in the middle of the city, earns loads of money, goes on nights out, has a great time. But he's kind of feeling a bit empty and lost. And he uh, essentially, his story uh, sort of details his journey of kind of self-realization and, and, and um, discovery about who he is and a bit more about his background. Um, now set against this is um, the historic narrative, which is narrated by Hassan. Um, and uh, the novel um, opens with Hassan's chapters um, in, the, in the form of letters to his um, deceased wife, who's the, the love of his life, and he's, he's getting married to um, somebody else uh, through family pressure, uh, family, someone who's actually a sort of distant um, family member. Um, he's marrying uh, their wife because that person died. Um, and so he, he, the story starts uh, with Hassan's story in 1945, so just after the Second World War, and he's, um, he basically is talking about his experiences uh, as a South Asian living in Uganda shortly before um, the British leave, um, and then after the British leave, and uh, all the way up until uh, 72, um, following kind of the nationalization policies and the expulsion and kind of where, where Hassan ends up, which is ultimately, pretty obviously, the UK. UK, yeah, <laughs> uh, and these two timelines, as you've you've said, um, is how you tell this story. And I wondered if you thought that the the concept of duty and and cultural expectation has changed from Hassan's generation to Samir's. Yeah, I don't. There there are certainly cultural expectations and duties that are placed upon both of these protagonists. Their forms might have changed, but the, mm. the, the fact that these duties and expectations exist continues. Um, and and it's, it's an interesting exploration to see how far down the generations they'll continue, because Samir is, of course, a second-generation immigrant. So his parents were born in another country um, and then migrated here. Um, but for Samir's children, for example, they'll be born in, in the same country that he was born in, potentially. Um, and so there's a question of to what extent those kind of you know those ties continue to bind you those Mm. duties continue to hold you down like you know even even in my life i was born in the uk my parents are immigrants i now have a daughter and i just wonder to what extent i'm going to place cultural expectations and 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 familial duties on her because i want to think of myself as quite progressive and modern and and liberal and you know but then i also think well I never want, you know, now that she's been born, I never want her living away from home. Yeah. <laughs> I just suddenly have these thoughts. Yeah. And, then I, and then I think to myself, oh, my God, who have I become? So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a really interesting... How old is your daughter, Hafsa? She's nine months old. So I'm actually still on maternity oh. leave, yeah. 
Oh, okay. Well, you see, when they get to the age of my children, then you'd be desperate for them to leave home. <laughs> yeah. I, I can imagine. I do keep, I do keep thinking to myself, she's so lovely and perfect now. I, what's what's going to happen when she starts talking back? Yeah. It is, it is, <laughs> will, will I still love her? I just don't know. And the, I, I imagine the the book took quite a, a while to write. I, I, I feel like, you know, it was brewing for a long time and it was, you know, based on some of your experiences, Hafsa. And since the success and, and the Murky Books Award that I mentioned, um, there must be a little bit of pressure for whatever the next one is. Have you found that you're able to, you know, is it easier to write this next one or is it proving harder? Well, I should start out by saying the next one, as of yet, does not exist. Doesn't exist. So, <laughs> no. So when I when I so I, I'm still working full time as a lawyer, other than the fact I'm on maternity leave. And before I had this baby, I I did think to myself, oh, I'll write the second novel on maternity leave, definitely, <laughs> yes, <right. laughs> because I have an idea. I have an idea, and so I I, I you know I've made a few notes on it. I kind of know where the plot's going to go. I know mm. kind of what I want to write about. And I thought, oh, I'll just do that in maternity leave. And and of course, literally nothing has been done. Now, she is going to nursery next month before I go back to work. Um, and so I think I will finally get the time to actually sit down and write something when she's not on my hands anymore. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, 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 been, it's been interesting because obviously I still have this kind of this, this day job, but it's not really a day job. It's more like a day and night job um, uh. <laughs> because that's kind of what, what being a lawyer is like. It's like a, yeah, it's a 24-7 kind of job. Um, so, yeah, squeeze, squeezing writing in the gaps is quite, quite um, a, a discipline you have to be very disciplined um, and you have to be very focused and also very motivated. And the yeah. thing with the Murky Books Prize is that I had a legal obligation to write the book because I'd signed a contract <laughs> saying I was going to write it. So I forced myself to write. With, with this next one, it's just kind as of As a like, lawyer, you knew you had to come <laughs> yeah, through on that as well, right? Exactly, exactly. With this next one, it's just like, oh, could take me like seven years. I don't know. We'll see. I'm still, I'm, the good thing is, the great thing is I'm still writing lots of little bits and pieces, you know, short stories for magazines and, you know, I did an essay in a collection and, and things like that. So there are little okay. things that are still coming out of me. I haven't stopped writing altogether. Um, and, and yeah, hopefully the, the bigger piece is not going to be that far away. I, I, I didn't mean to put any sort of pressure on you there. That was, you know, it came from a place of, you know, a real, you know, we really want the next one. That's all. That's all. <laughs> well, that's very much appreciated. Thank you. <laughs> Do you remember, Monica, writing your earlier books and how that was for you? Were you juggling other work and motherhood and things as well? Well, when I wrote Brick Lane... Um, when I started it, I had um, a two-year-old and a little baby and very little childcare. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Kudos. This is even more impressive now. <laughs> <laughs> but you were looking back. Um, I, I, people would ask at, at that time or, you know, after the book came out, um, you know, how did you manage that? And I would say, oh, you know, the, it's just, um, it was fine. I wrote when they were napping or in the night and it's fine. But looking back, I just think, oh, my God, I was in such such denial. It was exhausting. And um, I, th I think I felt like I wasn't allowed to complain. And there's that Cyril... Connolly quote I think it's him about the pram in the hallway being the enemy of promise and I think I was so determined to prove that wrong that I just was driven but it you know at a price at a, at a cost and um yeah I mean I, I would highly recommend waiting to, to, to um, you don't have to do it when they're napping <laughs> I have to say, though, I, I do I do feel like generally what I've experienced in my motherhood so far is that when you need to do something, you find you can do it. You think you can't do it and then you, you have no choice and you, you mm. are able to do it. And I guess for you, maybe, um, you know, Brooklyn, there was a real need there. There was a need to get this story out. There was a need for you. As you said, you, you were very driven to, to prove the, to prove them wrong, so, so, so to speak. So, yeah, yeah. I, I do. I do think that's true. And my grandfather had just died. My mother's father and I've been you know thinking about writing this novel for some time and the day after the funeral is the day that I sat down to start writing and I think there's something quite galvan 
galvanizing about a funeral it's just you know if there's something that you want to do with this life mm. you only have so many days you only have so many years and you've got to just get on with it so my husband very kindly took the kids away for a couple of hours and I sat down and started what became Brick Lane wow and I read recently a book uh, that my dad gave me I think it's called 4,000 Weeks um, quite a new book that's just come out and it it sort of sat initially I thought oh goodness it's going to be one of those books that that sort of goes you're running out of time what are you doing with your life you know blah, blah. actually it's really good because it sort of just breaks it all down a bit and just goes you know hey it's all good you you, you got to do this and you got to do a bit of that we've got to work we've got to but um it, it it does make you really think you know just thinking about your grandfather's funeral and that reading this book I was like Four thousand weeks ain't that much, is it? You know, when you when you break it down. <laughs> and I'm buy that. Who, who's it by? It's by Oliver Berkman. It's called Four Thousand Weeks. It's it's really great, and I think you'd, I think any anyone would sort of get something from this book actually. And it isn't the sort of depressing. Oh, life is running away from us. It's not that. It, it's very. It's much it's much sort of cleverer than that and it and it and it looks at um how we spend our time in a really interesting way so there you go that's my little book tip for you <laughs> um and what you're talking about brick lane there monica mentioned that which as i said was adapted into a film and i believe you're now adapting love marriage as well for the for the bbc is that right yes i'm i'm working with um, a production company called new pictures um, who are brilliant and it was really exciting because there was an auction for the screen rights and mm. um, it, it was it was just thrilling because I had tried during my um, long fallow period to write some screenplays for TV drama basically because I was watching a lot of telly and I thought maybe I can do that <laughs> uh, nothing ever got made but I so enjoyed working collaboratively with different production companies and I so enjoyed the challenge of learning something new uh, and now that I'm working on the adaptation for Love Marriage it's really nice because um, all of those skills that I learned all those craft skills are now coming mm. back into use and also I get more time to spend with Yasmin and Joe um yes. and tv is very very story hungry I mean, there is an awful lot of story in this book but there are scenes that i deleted from the book that i can now you know i can start playing with ah, again or things great. that happen off stage that i can now you know perhaps put on on stage um you know backstory and things like that so yeah i'm loving mm. it and it has been a long time coming, this book, or certainly since we had a Monica Alley book. And has that just been that you wanted to explore those other avenues or you just didn't have the story you wanted to write or you just thought, oh, I'm just going to have a few years off? Laziness. I was just <laughs> running around for 10 years. <laughs> it's, been, it's, been ten, it's been 10 years since my last book was out. And I have I have spoken about this um, a bit recently, but I was just I I lost confidence um, and I stopped writing. I mean, it, I think it's very good for writers to have self doubt because you want to make sure that every sentence is as good as it can be. Um, but you also have to have a core of self belief. Otherwise, you you know you never think it was worth doing. Um, yeah. But I lost all confidence, and um, and then I stopped. So I stopped writing, and when I wasn't writing, I got depressed. And being depressed, you lose even more confidence. So I was yeah. kind of in this sort of downward spiral for um, a few years, and then actually, the uh, screen writing or trying to learn the craft of screenwriting actually oddly helped me to get back into writing fiction because it just sparked that uh, joy of writing. I mean, there's a torture of writing, but there's also a joy of writing. Um, and, yeah, it just helped me get back in the saddle, I think. It made me realise yeah. that I do need to be writing. 
Oh, that's great. And and what a great way to sort of get find it again and to come back and get the confidence. And of course, screenwriting is so different to writing a novel, isn't it? You know, it, it, there are lots you can draw on from writing prose, but actually you have to almost relearn and and throw all those things you you were told or that you've learned about writing novels out the window and go no no it's got it's this now isn't it it's it's about sharper dialogue and it's not we're not going into these long sort of <laughs> descriptions anymore <laughs> yeah i mean you know i always enjoy writing dialogue that's what one of the things that i enjoy most in in writing fiction but um yeah you're quite right it's not just a series of um conversations on the page there's much much no. more to it than that and structurally it, it it's a big challenge um but i've enjoyed working with new pictures again on, on mm. how to structure it and you have to move some things around that happen later in the book that you need to see earlier in the in the screenplay and so on but it's great you know i love that jigsaw puzzle aspect to it as well and do you know when we might expect to see it on the screen yet or is that just way ahead in the future way too early okay (laughs) (laughs) and have so you said you you know you have been writing articles and essays and various things um while you're on maternity but ever thought about interested in going down the screenwriting route at all it's not something I've ever given any thought to I think I'm still so early in my writing career I got one book out (laughs) I'd like to get a few other books out and then maybe let's see or if this book got adapted then maybe I could help in the in the um yeah I don't know we we shall see it's not ever been a not even not even thinking of that yet let's just let's just get book two out is that what you think is that where you're at at the moment while I have this little idea brewing I want to see what what comes of it (laughs) and have you managed to read much whilst you've been on maternity because I always like to ask my guests what they've been reading and enjoying recently and to sort of recommend us a few things doesn't have to be something that's brand brand new either but is there anything that's on your radar at the moment Hafsa? Yeah so I I did struggle I think I struggled to read during you know the Mm. first wave of the pandemic and then I kind of really struggled to read after maternity leave but um, the first kind of few months are a lot harder. Once, like Monica said earlier, they start napping and sleeping. Um, you get a hell of a lot done when they're sleeping. Um, so I did start. I just start reading again fairly recently. I mean, I've recently read. So, so on maternity leave, I've read a few books. Um, most recently, I read um, the last one by Fatima Das. She's a French, um, a French author of Algerian descent. Okay. Um, she actually writes under a pseudonym. Um, but her, her book is about um, coming out um, and, and her identity struggles as a, a lesbian uh, with, a, with a Muslim background, a Muslim origin. I actually found it really, really fascinating because I'd, I'd read earlier on in my rat I'd read um, A Dutiful Boy by Mohsen Zaidi, who's, who's also kind of um, similar kind of, uh, it's a memoir. Um, interesting, Fatima's book is not, I, so I, don't, I wouldn't call it a memoir. It's kind of, I think she's described it herself as um, autofiction. So it's like mm-hmm. autobiography. I don't know, it's an autobiography, but like with fictional elements. I, I, I don't know, you know, like I said, she'd written under a pseudonym because I think she, she wanted to protect the identities of the people um, in, in her community. But I, I'd never sort of read anything by a North African Muslim, um, you know, describing their coming out journey. And to be honest, I'd never read anything by a lesbian either. It was like sort of the gay, gay memoirs I'd read. I'd, I'd sort of seen Glamour and things like that. And so mm. I, I, I just, I found it really, um, really moving. Um, cried a lot because I tend to cry quite a lot when I read <laughs> if something touches me um but yeah it's really good um and then and that's translated it's translated by Laura uh, Lara Lara Vernga but I've, I'm also reading um the best most awful job which is on the on the theme of motherhood so that's a collection of essays edited by Catherine May and it's got you know like people like Simon Bear and um, Homer Qureshi and um, Michelle Adams writes about being an adoptive mother. It's just a uh. really, really interesting collection and, and just sort of showcases the diversity of, of experiences of motherhood. Um, so that's just something I've slowly been reading. I'm only about 50% of the way through it, mm. um, but I just read like a, a chapter of it every night. So um, yeah, that's pretty much I love that title as well. Yeah, it's very accurate. <laughs> <laughs> and what about you, Monica? Have you found some time to read and got anything that you'd like to sort of share with us that you've enjoyed uh, yeah so um i'm reading mary mccarthy's the group at the moment which i don't know how i've managed to avoid reading it 
for all these years. It was published in the 1960s. And I know that it says on the cover something uh, from Candice Bushnell, who was the creator of the Sex and the City. And it said, without, w- without Mary McCarthy's the group, there would have been no Sex and the City. Oh. So that sort of gives you a, a clue. And it's set in the 1930s in New York, and this um, elite group of um, young women who are all graduates of this posh uh, college, Vassar College. And there's eight of them, and it sort of goes through their lives um, almost chapter by chapter. And it's incredibly frank and brutally honest about love, relationships and sex. I mean, there's a great deal of um, sexual um, revelation in Mm. the book. The awfulness of so many of their sexual encounters through ignorance and through expectation and um, you know what a gendered imbalanced society it was hmm. um, but it's also incredibly funny and she's got a razor sharp wit um, Mary McCarthy so I, I've nearly finished that um, I also read recently uh, Night All Blood is Black by David Diop which won yep. the International Booker 2021 which is about um Senegalese soldiers in the trenches of World War One, um, fight, fighting for the French, and it's about mm, you know race, masculinity, colonialism, obviously about war, um, and it's it, it's really brutal. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a very short book; you can read it in one one sitting, but it will never leave you. I mean, it's it's the savagery of war, the savagery of colonial colonialism. Um, it's it's really a remarkable book. Um, what else? Natalia Ginsburg. Again, I don't know how I've got to this age in life without reading Natalia Ginsburg, but she's just life-changingly good. Um, and if anyone hasn't read her, um, I, I would recommend starting with Family Lexicon, which is her sort of memoir. It's a sort of novelised memoir of growing up in Italy and then fascist Italy under Mussolini Mm. in a family that was half Jewish Um, and it's so unsparing of herself and it's so uh, unsentimental um, and so generous and wise and compassionate that um you know, really, you have you have to read it. Wow, I'm, I, I'm now quite worried about book off because you've you've already pitched this one pretty well. <laughs> She's really warming up now. Have said. She's really warming up for this. Oh yeah, that's it. Getting in the swing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. <laughs> oh, well, I loved all of those um, recommendations. Thank you so much. And 
as you so brilliantly set up, Hafsa, it is now time for the book off. And this is where each of you is going to get three minutes uninterrupted on the clock to tell us about a book you love that you think we should all read. And I'm always very careful not to say to any of my guests that it's, it has to be their favourite book because I just think, I don't know if I could choose a favourite book, you know. I, I, it would change every week for me. So I, I don't put that pressure on. It's just a book you love, you think we should all read. It can be anything... Uh, in terms of genre, it can be old, it can be new. Um, so I'm excited to see what you're putting up. Before we get to that, we've got to decide who goes first, who goes second. So, um, Monica, would you like to step up to the plate first, or are you going to see what Hafs has got? Uh, I, I don't mind. I could go first, but I have a question. Yes. Um, what happens if I haven't... I've sort of had I've put down some notes, but I haven't timed it. What I, what oh. if I break the three second barrier? Will I be penalised? So, if you're still, you don't have to use three minutes, Monica. So it may be that you you bring it in under the three minutes. But if you're still talking at the three minute mark, you're either going to be rung out by the school bell or honked out oh by the bicycle hall. I've, I've I've got to set set a timer. <laughs> I mean, you know, how will I know? Well, this is it. I mean, you could keep a timer on in the background. Some people do. Some people choose to. And have so. Would you like the um the the school bell or the bicycle horn at your three minutes? Definitely the horn. You're getting that right. Yeah. Okay, that means Delirious. you've got the bell, Monica. Um, and I will try to be. I will try to be um polite and not interrupt you. But <laughs> I'm so tense. Um. So, just before we start the three minutes, tell us the book you're putting forward, Monica. It's A House for Mr Biswas by B.S. Naipaul. Fantastic. All right. Three minutes on the clock. Uninterrupted, it's over to you to tell us about A House for Mr Biswas. So, it was published in 1961 and it's set in Trinidad where B.S. Naipaul grew up. The protagonist is inspired by Naipaul's father. Um, so Mr Biswas is born a Brahmin, an upper caste um, person, but he's born into poverty and he's the son of a labourer. And moreover, according to the astrologer's charts, he's born in the wrong way, in inverted commas. So we know that he's doomed to struggle all his life with what seems like quite a modest ambition to have a house of his own. And we know from the very beginning that he achieves this because the prologue, um, he has a house in Port of Spain with a slumber king bed and he reflects on how terrible it would have been, quote, to have lived without even attempting to lay claim to one's portion of the earth, to have lived and died as one had been born, unnecessary and unaccommodated. And then we begin the, these epic struggles which have brought him to the Port of Spain. So from infancy, he's forced to live as a guest in one crowded, inhospitable house after another. His, after his father dies, he, his family moves in with um, his mother's sister. He's humiliated, he's beaten. And then he goes off to work for the more privileged Tulsi family, who are also Brahmins, and they bully him into marrying their daughter and it's a long unhappy marriage full of quarrels and fights and he's still going off to try and get a house of his own and constantly having to to return to this um Tulsi household who are he views as his enemies um and he, day, and he daydreams about becoming a, a a writer he does manage to become a journalist for a tabloid paper called The Sentinel. And he comes home from work and he gets into a slumber king bed to read Marcus Aurelius and other classics. And, and that combination of slumber king bed and Aurelius is, is sort of a distillation of the tone of this novel because it's mock heroic. It's a funny, it's a funny book. And unlike other comic novels, it gets funnier the more times you read it because the comedy is the comedy of human striving and folly and failing and delusion and determination and the ability to embrace it all with compassion 
Um, so it's a masterpiece of literature of the 20th century. It's complex, profound, majestic, epic, intimate and flawless. Wow. You had uh, three seconds to spare as well, but you knew that, didn't you? You, t- you put a little timer on. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well done. Thank you so much. Um, have a break. Have a breather. We'll come back and talk about that in just a moment. But it's over to you now, Have Sir. I'm going to put three minutes back on the clock. And just before we start, tell us the book that you're putting forward, please. So my book is called Feed by M.T. Anderson. Fantastic. It's three minutes on the clock, uninterrupted. Over to you to tell us about Feed. So I I actually didn't ever choose uh, to buy this book or read it, which is odd that I'm putting it forward for the book off. But um, it's basically cyberpunk subgenre, which is like, you know, dystopian worlds and futures with like cyborgs and low life society and stuff. It's not really the kind of stuff that I read, although I do like to watch the films. I, I love Blade Runner. But um, anyway, I, I actually won this book. So I, I entered a competition when I was like much younger and I won a bunch of uncorrected book proofs. Um, and this was one of them. And so, um, you know, it's young adult fiction, but I just read it and I, my mind was blown um, and it's just stayed with me ever since. I just recommended it to everyone at the time. I still recommend it to people today. Um, and I just feel like it's become more and more relevant um, as time's gone on. So it's, um, it's set in a world where people have this super advanced form of the internet implanted into their brains, ostensibly when they're sort of like infants. Um, and and this, this internet connection allows people to chat wordlessly. It allows you know, to buy things. It's basically just having your mobile phone inside your brain. Um, And the story opens with uh, the young protagonist, who's a young man called Titus and his friends going on holiday to the moon. Um, And on the moon, Titus meets Violet, who um, is, as he thinks, the most beautiful woman he's ever seen in the the world and in the moon. Um, And Violet's a bit strange, right? She's a bit weird. And you kind of later discover that Violet did not get the feed uh, when she was baby, unlike most people, she got the feed when she was seven years old. Um, and, you know, her dad is quite eccentric and he lives in a house that's like still full of real books and things like that. Uh, shock horror. Um, and yeah, so they're, they're, they're not on the same level as everybody else. They don't um, subscribe to the, the kind of dominance of the feed in the way that, that the, the vast majority of society seems to. Now, I don't want to like sort of give away too much of the story. I don't want to give away any spoilers because obviously the objective is to get you to want to read this. Um, But at its heart, at its core, it's a love story. Um, And it's a love story about the relationship between Titus and Violet. And I think the reason that it really stayed with me um, and and compared to sort of the books, the love stories that I was reading at the time, is that this love story is kind of more about the absence of of morality and, and the kind of apathy in the way in which Titus... Um, kind of expresses himself towards Violet in, in the relationship. And you're obviously invited to think as the reader that that's as a result of the feed. Um, but anyway, it's a story that's way more than just a story about love. It's, it's about consumerism and capitalism and rapidly developing technology, technological advancements and the ways in which these things can, can, can pose a danger to and, and, and threaten not just sort of the morality and upkeep of society, but its, its very existence. Um, you know, it's about uh, change and it's about progression and versus traditionalism. When I read this proof, I was 11 years old. We didn't have mobile phones. We didn't even have broadband. Um, and, and when I think, oh, no, <laughs> I quite wanted to be honked out, to be fair. I didn't set a timer. <laughs> you, you set it up so that you were still talking. I know it. You just wanted that bicycle horn. Oh, I had more to say. I had so much more to say. It's, it's just brilliant. It's so relevant. It's so, so relevant. Amazing. Wow. What a, what a wonderful pitch as well. Thank you so much. And, and both of these books just sound fabulous. House for Mr. Biswas, Monica, um, is a book that I know of through uh, doing some work with the Booker Prize. Um, and I absolutely loved your pitch. I have never read it. Um, and it's, no, I know. And it's, it's, the, it's a book that comes up again and again as this sort of like, what you know, get on with it, mate. What You know, like you were saying a bit earlier, oh, I finally got round to reading X and Y and I can't believe that I have never, you know, it's the same for this one because this is probably the fourth or fifth time that someone has told me about it. Um, And you just set it up so wonderfully. And that sort of last line of your pitch saying it's just a masterpiece of literature, I mean, how can you not want to read this book after hearing about that? And I also think um, a book that gets funnier the more times that you read it is a rare thing, don't you? 
I do because um, it, I mean there is a there is a sort of farce aspect to it. There is a hectic, antic, comedic strain to it, but the comedy just goes a lot deeper than yeah. that. And the more that you understand of life, you know, the older you get, the funnier this book gets because you understand exactly his his predicament, which is that we're sort of all. Um, we're, we're, we're full of self-delusions, we're full of flaws, we're full of petty thoughts that we wish that we weren't having, we're full of um, grandeur and self-loathing and self-doubt a, a, alongside, you know, the, the, the good aspects of ourselves. And that's what, that's what is funny. It's a, mm. it's a very human comedy. Um and it's done with tenderness mm. and it's done with compassion and it's also within a much wide... I mean, it's you know, it's a brilliant book in microcosm, but also at a macro scale, it can be read as uh, a, a kind of um, situated within colonialist history as Trinidad being on the cusp of... Uh, being post-colonial, mm. so what traditions are we going to shake shake off from the colonialist past? What customs and what um, power structures are we going to overturn? So, Biswas is he's trying to disentangle himself from family and customs and traditions and entanglements of, of the old order. You know, there's a lot about religion in there as well, mm. and the caste system and racism and so on. Um, so you, you can read it's a book that you can read on so many levels and it's also very rooted in place I mean he, Naipaul clearly has a great love for the beauty of the country for all the brutal poverty mm. that exists there that his love of the landscape is unparalleled in his beautiful longing you know evocative descriptions yeah right wow i just think it you know it sounds amazing you've you've really made me want to go and read it i've had it on the the ever-growing list of like come on joe you've got to get around to it and you've really really uh pushed that to the top of the list after talking about it and i have to say have so i don't know uh, of feed uh or of mt anderson and what i loved about your pitch was the fact that this book you know it it could have so easily not been on your radar and you might never have read it, but you won this competition and then that, and it stuck with you this whole time. And I love a book like that, that blows your mind, stays with you when you're a bit younger and then just, you know, you want to tell everyone about it and you sort of push it on to everyone. Um, it just sounds amazing and unbelievably uh, contemporary, really. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, I, I don't know if this is true, but it's certainly true of me. I tend to sort of stick to certain genres of books. Like, I don't really veer out of my lane too much when it comes... <laughs> you know, there's certain types of genre that I like to read. I like to read a bit of romance. I like to leave, read stuff about, like... I like the odd historical fiction. I like books which involve, like, you know, contemporary exposition of, like, race and, like, you know, colonialism and things like that. So I stick to very, like, kind of set categories. I'll read things that are, um, you know, popular at the time. Like, you know, I'll read things that have been on the booker list or... Yeah. Um, you know, just to sort of keep up to date with what, what's going on. But I don't tend to do things like cyberpunk subgenre or anything like that. I don't read fantasy, um, you know, like sort of um, proper fantasy, which my mum loves. Um, so half her library was excluded to me anyway. Um, but <laughs> but yeah, so th that's that's why that's that's why I had to pick this book, because it's something that wasn't typically on my radar. I would have never have picked it up. And I just loved it. I mean, to be fair, it should have made me read more cyberpunk. I, I've never read any other cyberpunk. <laughs> you do so you don't need to now because yeah. it's, it's like you it's almost like you've read this one and that's that's it you wouldn't want yeah you peaked <laughs> but isn't it amazing that that i mean I do, when when do you think this book was written when are we talking so it was it was 2002 it was published in 2002 okay, so because okay. I, I got an uncorrected proof i'm i'm pretty sure it was um it was like around that it was around yeah so it's 20, it's 20 years old yeah exactly and yeah. it's talking about having the internet in our brains you know Elon part, must be doing it yeah, I mean, yeah. and then and here we are thinking, God, yeah, this is, and so many people, especially younger generations, are so addicted to their phone. You know, literally head down. We don't do anything without our phone. We can't. Some people can't seem to think without their phone. Now it's like, wow, it really. I mean, they were onto something. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's honestly so reflective, I think, of kind of the way that society could could potentially be heading. And it's kind of a warning to, to you know, the future. But yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, I loved both of those pictures. And honestly, Monica, the, 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 the amount of times I've said I've got to read A House for Mr. Biswas. Uh, I'm going to, I promise. Uh, thank you to your pitch. <laughs> Thanks to your pitch. Um and I loved, I absolutely loved yours, Hafsa, because it just feels so relevant. And like, you, you obviously are so passionate about this book, and it's a, I love a, I love a YA book as well, because I think, I think YA is is such a hard category to get people to read if they because they believe that it's oh it's young it's young adult it's children's it's children's, and actually I think YA gets a, a bit of a bad rep being categorised in that way because actually I just think it means, you know, oh it's it's not really for children. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's it. Um, and so I'm a, I'm always a massive champion for, for YA because I think they sh- it should be more widely read by all adults as well as teenagers. Um, oh, do you know? So I'm gonna I'm gonna choose the feed. Actually, I'm gonna go with the feed, Hafsa. I think you've just swayed it for me with all. It's I don't know. I, there was something about that that passion there and I just I really want to read this book as well um excellent thank you <laughs> well but I promise once I've read House of Mr Biswas I will let you know so that I can finally put that one to bed and <laughs> tick it off the blooming list which has been on it's just been on there for so long uh, thank you both for those wonderful pictures um really really enjoyed them and Love Marriage by Monica Alley is out now it's published by Virago and We Are All Birds of Uganda by Hafsa Zayan is also out now published by Murky Books and what a joy it's been to spend this time in your company thank you both for joining us thanks for your recommendations and well we look forward to the TV adaptation Monica whenever that may be and uh, have so we look forward to book two whenever and whatever that may be <laughs> thank you both so much thank you so much <laughs> thank you Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.